My name is Josh. Just Josh. No last name. Or at least no last name I can tell you. I am a podcaster. I guess that makes me one of the most hunted, endangered species on Earth. I'm just kidding. There's way too many of us. This is Josh Gunderson, and you're listening to the Millennial Agenda Animorphs Edition. Welcome, everyone, to the Millennial Agenda Animorphs Edition, a weekly bonus episode where each week Kevin and I come together to discuss Animorphs, a sci-fi action series by K.A. Applegate. This week we are discussing Book 3, The Encounter. So the quick rundown of this book is we've got Tobias's point of view. He is stuck in a hawk morph. He discovers a Yerk tanker ship that has been siphoning resources from Earth, water, air, and whatnot. The Animorphs hatch a plan to hijack the ship and uncloak it above a populous area to let the world know that there's aliens. Per usual, the plan does not go well, but they are successful in destroying the ship. During all of this, Tobias is also wrestling with his newfound life as a hawk, and that is the quick pitch for the encounter. And I think it's called that simply because the book full of bad plans on everyone's part was too long for the series. <laughs> yeah, this book is full of a lot of very interesting choices. <laughs> I mean, I, I get that they are, they're young kids. We're only a couple weeks into their new lives as radicalized children fighting an advanced alien race. But no one, no one thought anything through. This is like a, a group of children playing tag where every time somebody gets tagged they change the rules to explain why they're not it that's what i feel like is going on here <laughs> because we we start off with our what's becoming sort of the norm for the books is a, a cold open and this involves naturally rachel is involved in this but tobias and rachel have come together because they want to free this red-tailed hawk that is a pet of sorts for a used car dealership she's the mascot for them and they decide that there's no better time to do this than while they're recording a, a television commercial which i guess is they're, they're doing it live which i'm i'm trying to understand this because in my brain it says that they're doing the commercial and it's airing live at that moment but i don't i don't recall a time ever that that has been a thing there's only one time i can think of that there was a commercial that was happening live as we were all watching it and that was uh, performance done by the cast of The Greatest Showman during probably some sort of an award show that I don't know why I was watching. Yeah, the 90s were weird, but I don't think they were weird enough for a used car dealership to be broadcasting a live commercial featuring a hawk in a cage. Like, it's definitely a stretch. <laughs> so, I mean, either way, it's it's a terrible plan because this is going to be recorded and it's one thing if another hawk shows up and causes a little bit of chaos i can pretend to see that happening but an elephant just kind of charging into the situation and i i'm we don't know where this all takes place but i'm assuming that an elephant barging in to a used car dealership is not the norm here yeah and at this point in the story rachel has a whole lot of different morphs to choose from she's got an eagle she's got a, a, a mole She's got a cat. And so of all the things for her to choose in a public setting that's being broadcast on live television, apparently, she goes, yeah, I'm going to go with elephant. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I mean, granted, that's the one that's going to cause the most damage. I don't see a, a cat showing up. and do, But like, it, regardless of whether or not this is being broadcast live, it's being recorded. You'd think the Yerks, who seem to be everywhere, are going to notice 
that something's not right about this, but maybe that's just me. So, and I mean, they do get, it's kind of a throwaway scene, but they do get admonished by the other Animorphs. Marco is pissed. Jake is Jake. And he's like, oh yeah, definitely don't do that again. I don't know why he's the leader, but Rachel has proved <laughs> why she shouldn't be. And and Cassie is Cassie about the whole thing. Yeah, so that's that's just how we open. And then during their return to get yelled at by everybody, to Tobias kind of feels... He senses that something's not right in the air, and it's, it turns out to be this giant ship that he discovers is the, siphoning the resources, and he lets the others know about it. He's also starting to... He's seeing that, that female a whole lot, and I, I guess we're going to just start off with this. Tobias wants to fuck that hawk. See, and that's something I didn't pick up on as a kid at all. I just... It kind of vibed with me as this, like, oh, I want to go, like, be a part of nature and just be wild and, like that hawk makes me feel like I should be like also a wild animal. And then I read it again as an adult and I was like, Oh yeah, he wants her. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he is indeed feeling some animal instincts, just not the ones that I thought he was feeling. But I mean, it, it this, this whole book brings up something very interesting about Tobias. Cause he's now wrestling with this other brain and it's uh the, it draws an interesting parallel to the yerks because he's fighting for control with the natural instincts of the hawk and the brain that's in there and i i can see how it's not exactly the same because he just is a copy of a hawk but some very interesting parallels there in terms of what's going on inside the head but it it brought up this whole book brought up a lot of questions for me about Tobias's life in general, because I could only assume that his lifespan is now that of a red tailed hawk. That's a good point. I've never thought about that. I mean, I can't really, hmm, I don't want to spoil anything. Fair. Don't do it. About his but, lifespan. So I won't go there. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I had never thought about that. Um, I feel like with other examples of nothlets that we've seen, which is the term for somebody who gets stuck in a morph. I can't remember any of them not living out to their original life expectancy, but I don't know if it's ever addressed. I can't remember. Because according to a quick Google search right now, it says the average lifespan of a red-tailed hawk in the wild is 10 to 15 years in captivity, about 20 years. But I, because hmm. then I feel like you have to take into account the age of the hawk when he acquired it. Right. So I don't, it's just weird little thoughts that popped into my head. But what it really boiled down to is, uh, he wanted he wanted he wants to fuck the female hawk yeah i that's all i have written down is just one line that says tobias wants to fuck that hawk because <laughs> because i'm an adult and that's that's what happened so they they've now discovered this ship and so they concoct a, a plan to go kind of scope it out and we see them morph into wolves which i i really enjoy the the subtle bits of education that get thrown in there because marco at one point is bitching like because they've got cassie's got one female and one male wolf at their wildlife rehab center. And Marco's complaining that he has to be a girl. And we get slipped into like that little bit of education of, well, if there's two men, the instincts might kick in and you two might try to fight each other for control. So I just thought that was, that was fun. I, I learned something kind of. <laughs> I think that honestly, that angle is how they managed to get Scholastic on board was, oh, we're going to teach the kids facts about animals. Like, I, that's the only reason I can see <laughs> Scholastic being like, yes, let's push this for, like, middle school-aged children. That's great. Let's do it. No, I'm, I'm now convinced, having read this, 
I'm convinced that no one at Scholastic was paying attention. They're just like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> because this book dives, like, Tobias is straight up not having a good time. Like, he's not mm -hmm. having any fun at all. And we're seeing that entire point of view. And this book is overall pretty depressing. But <laughs> no one at Scholastic was paying attention. They saw the, the book sales happening and they're like, all right, yeah, keep it. Keep it going. What's they turn into animals? It's fun. It's fun for the whole family. Everyone's ignore the like weirdly implied bestiality don't don't think about it too much is it is it bestiality if you're a human stuck as a hawk having sex with the hawk i don't know why that just popped into my head and i'm just moving on anyway <laughs> <laughs> so they oh <laughs> uh, i i might have power chugged a red bull prior to us starting to record this. So they head out in Wolf Morph and they kind of see what's going on. So they see that it is indeed this big old, big old ship that uh, Marco describes first as the size of Delaware, followed by, I think, Indiana, because he's Marco. And it's siphoning up water out of this reservoir. And so it kind of shows us what's going on with the Yerks, because obviously I'm assuming they have human controllers up on the mothership that need sustenance and all of that. So obviously they need water. I'm curious where they're getting food from. I mean, I feel like that's a little bit easier. All they need is a controller that has enough money and they can just bulk order all the different food supplies that they need and send it on a... So just... Uh... So a, a rich controller with a Costco membership. Pretty much. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I, I assume taxons, you just kind of feed them anything, just leftovers. Yeah, they'll eat anything, including each other. So not much to worry about there. <laughs> I'm not concerned about them. It's fine. And <laughs> so they, and they end up in a little bit of a scuffle because not so much because they run have a run in with the Yerks, but as they're returning back, they run into that oh, another wolf pack, and it's, it seems that they have uh, stumbled into some territory, and a huge territorial issue comes up over a dead rabbit, and then of course Tobias is like, "Well, I know how to solve this," and flies down between them and just, just <laughs> kidnaps a dead rabbit. But then we get to some really like this this is a truly horrific part of the book and the amount of detail that K.A. Applegate goes into during this, because they realize that they've been in morph for a very long time. Like y'all are about to become a pack of wolves long time. And they start trying to morph out. And this is where it gets scary because Tobias is like, get out, get out, get out, get out. And they're trying to do it. And it's, they're struggling with it. And I don't know if it's just because they were super stressed that they weren't fully focusing. But like at one point, it describes Marco as he got his head back, but he's still very much wolf. And he's like looking up at Tobias and Tobias is freaking out. And it is just a, a horrific scene, beautifully written, but like nightmare inducing fuel. Right yeah, this there. is this is one of the first um entries in the book that really really stuck with me in a haunting way as a kid uh especially the part with marco because it says something about like him like rolling his eyes up at tobias and like tobias knows it's because he's looking at him thinking like i don't want to be that and using that to focus and it's just like it's scary i mean we also it's another example of cassie being really really proficient at morphing because she gets out of it almost immediately and starts coaching the others which is just really interesting because They've all had the same abilities for the same amount of time. So it's really cool to see Cassie like developing her skills so much more quickly and so much more expertly to the point where she's able to coach the others. Yeah, she's truly 
the absolute best at this. We do see this a little bit later in the book when they are escaping their horrible plan and she's very quick to morph into a bird, but we'll we'll get to that. So yeah, we have that. And then to, it really throws Tobias through the ringer and they all, you know, head home somewhat happily ever after, albeit a, a bit shaken. And we learn a little bit more about what Tobias has been going through. So he's living in Jake's attic, which I don't see as being the smartest idea in the world when your brother is a high ranking Yerk controller to have a, mm-hmm. a hawk going in and out of your attic. But, you know, you do you do you and he he is. <laughs> This is the part that gets me is he leaves Tobias food up there, you know, mashed potatoes and some some steamed veggies and some cold ground hamburger. And I, I guess I guess I just can't help but wonder why why is he living at, at Jake's and not a place that makes a little bit more sense? Like, I don't oh, if only one of them really loved animals and had an animal <laughs> rehab center on their property. I just hmm. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it, because I get what you're saying, but I think part of it was that they were really trying to treat Tobias as a human. And that's why Jake was wanting to give him something that was like a home and give him food that was, you know, a dinner cooked for a human family. Whereas if he were to be living at Cassie's barn, he would still be eating rodents. He'd be eating rabbits. He'd be eating whatever he could hunt for. And it would be, you know, raw freshly dead animals and that's like the whole thing that they're trying to avoid and that's the whole battle that he's going through in in this book so i think it's important that they went for a rather stupid plan of keeping him in a house (laughs) but i think that was a kind of a desperate attempt to make him feel human in some way i mean he literally has a blanket wadded up in a dresser drawer that he sleeps in and it's like do hawks even like cuddle up into a blanket when they sleep do they don't they just probably like sit on a branch or in a nest like i i can't imagine them getting cozy in a blanket i'm just gonna ask the google they do so high in trees often close to the trunks and that's about all it says so i mean i mean i'm assuming no they're in blankets <laughs> yeah there's no blanket but they they stay near the trunk to stay warm apparently yeah i don't see that like i maybe they like kind of i don't I don't know why I'm making motions right now as if anyone can see what I'm doing to look like a hawk cuddling up on a branch, but (laughs) know that it looks like me aggressively shaking like an idiot. (laughs) He kind of, he tries to eat and he even mentions like, I haven't told Jake that I can't, I can't have vegetables. They don't, they don't sit well with me. And he decides to take a little bit of a, uh, a night stroll. So he does the very nineties thing where he shows up at Rachel's window in the middle of the night and kind of taps on it, which I feel like this is just a funny nineties trope that we saw in every one of our TV shows where the guy is just shows up at your, at your window in the middle of the night and sneaks in without your parents seeing you. And he, he kind of, he goes to her for some comfort. And another interesting thing happens because it's, it's my impression from the first book that none of them were really friends with Tobias prior to this. I mean, correct me if you feel that I'm wrong. So it's mentioned that, yeah, he definitely isn't like, in their friend group like they wouldn't be like yeah and our friend Tobias but because Jake helped him out of a bullying situation he kind of had this awkward like 
thing where he would like try to hang out with Jake and Jake was kind of too nice to say fuck off. So he would, he would kind of insert himself into their group, but they were all aware of him. It wasn't that they didn't like him. It was just kind of that he was, he was just that kid Tobias. He was there. Yeah. And I mean, the reason I bring it up is because he's kind of discussing his, his sort of internal conflict of become, you know, becoming a Hawk and fighting the Hawks instincts. And Rachel just up and pulls out a photo of him. And it's like, well, look at this is you. This is who you are. And that's like, that's great. It's a wonderful, touching moment. But what's Rachel doing with a photo? It's not like she didn't even like it wasn't like, oh, she pulled out an old yearbook and was like, see, that's you. It was now nah, here's this photo <laughs> I got of you. And it's not like in today times where, you know, we take photos willy nilly. Like if you have a photo of somebody in the 90s, it was a process. You. <laughs> <laughs> You had to take the photos, use up the entire 24 count of film, and then take it to CVS where you drop it off, forget about it for about two and a half years, and then eventually remember to go pick it up. So I just... <laughs> but they, they have this nice little touching moment. But the, the instincts proved to be too much, and not too soon after, he, uh, he makes his first kill. He eats himself a rat, and it does not... Mm -hmm sit well with him like he full-on freaks out and it's another it's a it's another thing in the book that really went over my head i don't think i really processed it at the time but he he starts to eat this rat he completely freaks out and he decides that in that moment he needs he needs rachel he needs to see rachel he needs the comfort of rachel and rachel is in the middle of a gymnastics expo that takes place at the mall where people can watch because this is the 90s, and as much as I'd like to pretend like stuff like that didn't happen, I very much remember things like child fashion shows happening in the middle of our mall growing up. So I'm not, I believe it. And he freaks out, <laughs> and he flies into the mall, and it's not just flying into the mall. This turned into a full-on suicide run. And the, the passage, and I'll, I'll read it because it's, Again, it's one of those things that unless you're really paying attention to it, it didn't really process what was happening. So he says, um, the hawk in my head wanted the sky. It knew safety was up in the high blue. The hawk powered straight up, straight up at the glass that he didn't understand. The glass that would be like a brick wall, but I couldn't fight it anymore. The hawk had won. I had killed. I had killed and eaten, and I had loved it. The ecstasy of the hunt. Ecstasy. In a second, it would all be over. One more stroke of my powerful wings and the glass, dot, dot, dot. And he's ready to end it right there. That's he the hawk instinct has taken over, but the human brain knows what's about to happen. And he he is OK with it. And thankfully, Marco is there against Rachel's wishes and I think throws a baseball or just something heavy. Mm -hmm. he, he just happened to have a baseball on him like you do. It's a baseball, yeah. I It's the 90s. Kids carried baseballs. I, I remember that distinctly. And you never know what's going to come in handy for rescuing your suicidal hawk friend. I oh, if I had a dollar during a gymnastics meet, that's just a that was a, a Tuesday afternoon. And he just he, like he goes full hawk after that. He kind of runs away from everybody for a couple days and is just like, yo, leave me alone. I'm going to go hawk. He lets the instincts take over and he finally returns to Rachel and he kind of shrugs the whole thing off because he doesn't want to talk about it. But even Rachel's like, what what would have happened if Marco hadn't broken the glass? And he was like, oh, don't. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Everything's everything's cool. And then it's decided that they're going to go through with their horrible plan of this ship. Because there's some choices, man. Because, yeah, by the way, this still is happening. Ugh. So they they decided that 
their plan is they're going to morph into fish and get sucked up into the tanker ship and then take it over from there. And I, I'm just going to step by step this. So part one, they apparently all just like they all called each other's parents and were like, I'm sleeping over at so-and-so's house because they decided to go camp out in the woods the day before. And they know that they need a fish. They don't have a fish yet. So they decide to go fishing the old fashioned way. Which I it's the only way to fish. I don't know why I said it like that. Well, I mean, <laughs> if only they had morphs of birds of prey that hunt by fishing, <laughs> that's, such as an eagle or an osprey. That's where I was going with that. <laughs> it's just one of those like, hey kids, did, did, like even Cassie, come on, Cassie. You're our animal expert <laughs> here. Can you come on, please? And so they do that and they acquire uh, a fish and the next day the Hortfajir and the the big tanker ship show up in the Hortfajir and bug fighters are now there. It's being escorted because they oh that I forgot because the day before they Tobias showed up to kind of observe and report and he helps a random hiker escape the Hortfajir by thought speaking to him and guiding him away and saving him which they've now officially saved two people. Congratulations. We've saved Mystery Woman and and this guy. Though this guy's not a controller, so I guess I guess he can just go about his life and just not mention that he saw monsters and he should be good. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, number one, who's going to believe him? But also, number two, controllers would believe him, so, like, he needs to stay quiet. Yeah, I I would hope that maybe Tobias relayed that to him. Because, I mean, if you're a hawk talking to him, you, you might as well just go all out. And so, because of Tobias's little shenanigans the day before, uh, some bug fighters show up escorting the tanker ship. But then, it's not an Animorphs book if our good buddy Visser 3 doesn't show up to wreak some havoc. His blade ship shows up and Tobias is like, oh, nope, nope, let's let's not. He doesn't like this plan anymore, but naturally Rachel wants to go through with it. <laughs> and like the the Horkvizier show up and they're not taking any chances like the big boss is watching and they're just shooting any animal they see. Because at one point he mentions to the group like, yeah, Horkvizier just straight up shot a deer. And then, of course, Cassie being Cassie is like. What did a deer ever do to anybody? (laughs) Well, Cassie, if you listen to a previous episode of the Millennial Agenda, where we talk about our love of animals, you'll know the time that I was stalked by a psychotic deer and all of its friends. So that's what they did, Cassie. That's what they did. So they they do that plan and they decide they're going to go through with it. So now the plan is that they're going to morph a fish outside of water. So not only are they going to morph something that they have never done before, but they're going to do it outside of its nat- natural breathability habitat. Yeah, I just invented new words. And Tobias <laughs> is going to carry them out of the cave to the water. And it's going well, naturally, right up until it doesn't. And that's when they blast past some controllers and he drops them off in the water. And the one of the Horkfager tries to shoot at him and he ends up hitting the tanker ship and it causes damage like how how strong are these these draken beams that they're going to cause damage to this giant ship i mean my understanding is that they basically just disintegrate whatever they hit so it kind of makes sense to me it does but at the same time like ultimately the tobias uses a draken beam to full-on take out this ship and it's, it's a handheld one that he steals from a taxon but like 
okay, just nod and smile. But I mean, so I, getting back to this horrible plan. So they, the rest of the Animorphs are now fish and they get themselves sucked up into the main holding tank. And this is where I start to have questions because A, do they not think that no one is going to notice a bunch of kids in skin tight clothing wandering around barefoot on the ship first off? And then what makes them think they're going to figure out how to fly this thing? I, yeah, I truly don't understand what they thought they were going to accomplish without it being a literal suicide mission. Like, especially because here's the other thing. If you think about a ship whose purpose is to collect a lot of water as an, as a resource, whether it's for energy or for, you know, sustenance, whatever it is, do you think there's just going to be a big pool at the bottom of the ship? And if they swim to the top, they're going to be able to get out and walk around. Like, it's going to have a container, a sealed container that they keep the water in. So well, I just can't imagine how they're surprised when they get up there and they're like, it's sealed. We can't get out. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it would. Why would they be collecting water if it wasn't sealed? Yep. No, it's it's just all around terrible plan. Just bad, bad planning. Like no one. I feel like not even K.A. Applegate thought this one through. <laughs> Because no one's doing anything smart. And so Tobias realizes how screwed everyone is and is like, well, if you're going to go, you're going to go. So he he basically charges a taxon and steals his Draken beam and he carries it up and he realizes that they're not shooting at him because they're going to hit the ship. And apparently these weapons are strong enough to destroy a ship. And he's like, well, I guess I'm going for it. And he takes the thing down and it rips open water pours out his friends come pouring out and quickly morph into birds and manage to escape and of course at this point the yurks are pretty much onto the fact that they need to be shooting birds and tobias comments like any any animals that were smart scattered when the noises began but not all of them and then his girlfriend shows up and she gets she gets the murdered R.I.P. Price cut Polly. Well, she doesn't even. Here's the thing: the, the extra fucked up thing. She doesn't get murdered. They shoot off one of her wings, so she's incapacitated and falls to the ground, and she's just kind of dying. Like it's not like they shoot her. Oh, and she disappears in a puff of smoke. She's disintegrated. Like no, they just they just maimed her, and now she's gonna die a little bit more slowly and painfully. It's fine. Everything's good. It's every and again, scholastic. What the. Uh... Mm-hmm. What was your plan? Oh, and then and then Tobias comments that if he were a wild hawk, he would see that she was incapacitated and he would eat her because she would be unable to defend herself. So that's really lovely to think about where how he goes from talking about uh, basically wanting to fuck this hawk to saying, mm, but now my instinct is to eat it while it's alive. This is my childhood. This explains so much about my personality. And we we also I want to I want to touch a little bit on Visser three here, because something very interesting happens when he's got Tobias cornered as a hawk. I just I found this interesting because he Visser three says to Tobias, like, you know, turn yourself in and tell me where the others are and I'll make your death swift. I don't remember if we talked about this before, but my kind of thought becomes like, hey, buddy, if you uh you want your friends to succeed in this, you know, general taking over of worlds. Wouldn't you want other Yerks with the ability to morph or no, you just want to be the only one? Yeah. And I, th- I think we're seeing uh, some of Visser 3's true colors here as a horrible leader. Oh, absolutely. He wants to be, he wants to be a dictator. That's what he wants. He wants to be completely in control. 
And the thought of another Yerk having an Andalite body would be the last thing that he wants. He's just all about killing everybody because we we see it obviously in the first book he eats Elfangor because that's always fun. He threatens to consume the Yerks that live inside the Chapman's head if they dissatisfy him, which is at that point he's just a cannibalistic asshole. Mm-hmm. And then we don't get any details on it, but he the Horkvizier that shot the ship gets killed by the viscer tobias doesn't say much about it other than it's something that was going to stick with him for the rest of his days and it, it led me to another very interesting question if if a host is killed does the yerk inside of it go with it or is it some sort of like weird psychic torture to have to experience the death of your host but you could continue on i think that they that's a really good question i've never thought about that because we see it happen all the time especially with visitor three throughout the series when somebody pisses him off he just kills them my guess since tobias specifically is like i don't want to talk about it it was traumatizing i would have to assume that he did some sort of horrific like open brain surgery type thing to kill the yerks in their heads and the corporate hosts because you know just lopping off their arms or whatever I would think, I mean, we don't know a ton about the Yerk physiology and how they really do control the host, but I would think that while they can feel what the hosts feel, they would be able to not feel that. You know, chopping off their arm wouldn't necessarily hurt the Yerk inside the head. And we know that Andalite tail blades are extremely razor sharp. They, they've been shown to cut through people completely in one blow. Yeah. So I would think that he just did some extra fucked up brain surgery type nonsense. I but then see that it leads to more questions because like when Visser Three discuss uh, morphing into the creature that I can't remember the name of right now and I don't know where my notes from that show were. Something start with V and ends with X. I think it's Van Arks. Van Arks, yeah, I'm looking at. It. I found my notes when he morphs into the Van Arks and sucks the Yerk out of. He was demonstrating it for Mister Chapman. Does he taste? Does he taste that? Do you? Because the probably because the animorphs discuss again. It's, in in my head, it makes sense that the yerk controlling the host can choose whether they're experiencing the host's sensations, whether it's you know what they're feeling, what they're tasting, what they're smelling. I would think the yerk could close themselves off to fe- to feeling those feelings, but they could also allow themselves to to experience that too. I don't know if that's proven in in the in the canon anywhere, but that would be what makes sense to my mind. I guess, yeah, they have that kind of control. Because you would think, especially for the Yerks that live their lives as slugs, I mean, I don't I don't think they any any of the books go too too much into the, the, the Geds, the the creatures that they inhabit on their home planet in terms of what they eat. But I mean, I know we see it a little bit further into this that, you know, aliens, especially those that don't have mouths, experiencing food for the first time have some very interesting reactions. And you would think that the Yerks being blind little slug creatures would want to enjoy that experience. Yeah, and they they definitely, we see at certain points in the series that Yerks do in fact value being part of a host rather than just living as a slug. So it does logically make sense that they, they would be able to feel everything. But I still stand by my my own personal theory that they're able to switch it on and off when they want to. Fair enough. I like it. This book, for me, is a favorite. And I, I know that 
this is a favorite for a lot of fans um, because, and this specifically ties back into what started us on this whole podcast journey. K.A. Applegate from the beginning, from the 90s, has been preaching a message of loving yourself, accepting yourself, loving your body no matter what that ultimately translates to her saying trans people are valid, trans women are women and trans men are men. And there's a a certain um, quote from this book that really resonates with a lot of people. And I discovered, um, it stuck out to me immediately when I was rereading it as an adult, but I discovered in just searching on Twitter that one, K.A. Applegate actually has a a child who came out as a trans woman um, a few years back. Her name is Julia. And I saw some, there was a tweet where somebody basically was expressing, it's been deleted since then, so I don't have it screenshotted, but they were expressing that this series helped them develop their own identity and learn who they were as a trans person. And K.A. Applegate responded and said, you know, I'm the parent of a transgender woman and this means a lot to me, thank you. And then that thread continues all the way down to people saying, this is what stuck out to me in these series. There's a, a person who says that when they transitioned, they chose the name Cassie largely because of the character in the books. Um, But a few different people mentioned this quote that really stuck out to me when Rachel and Tobias are talking and Tobias is going through this uh, and Tobias is going through this internal struggle of what am I? Am I a hawk? Am I a human? Um, And Rachel says something that is pretty radical for the 90s. So I'm going to read it just directly. Rachel says, you belong with us. You are a human being, Tobias. How can you be so sure? I asked her. Because what counts is what's in your head and in your heart, she said with sudden passion. A person isn't his body. A person isn't what's on the outside. And that's something that is a very radical and liberating thought for people who are transgender, who are experiencing body dysmorphia, is you are more than what your body is made of and what you appear to be. And you can, you you are inside the body. You are not the body. You can be whatever you want it to be. Um, so I just think it was really cool that she was saying that all the way back in the 90s compared to other mainstream young adult novel authors who prefer to spread other ideas about um, what trans people are and how they feel and whether or not they're valid. So I think that's something really important to bring up. And it's my favorite quote from the whole series, because it it is something that, I mean, I didn't internalize that as a child as a, a trans positive message, because as a young child growing up in a very religious setting, I didn't understand the concept of a transgender person. That wasn't something I knew about. But reading that still resonated with me. I still read that and thought, yeah, you know, whether it's I you know whether it's body dysmorphia as uh with fitness or with your size or with uh body hair or with whatever it might be acne, you're not that. You are a person living inside of your brain and your body is not what defines that person. Um so that's I just love that a lot. Um other than that, I do have one fun fact that I found while researching this book online. Oh boy. Um, so if you look at the cover of this book, the original cover, mm-hmm. um, it shows Tobias as a hawk and as a human. And a lot of people, myself included as a child, were confused by this cover because one, Tobias is not able to morph in this book. And two, the boy on the front cover has dark brown hair, which we mm-hmm. already know Tobias is blonde and Jake is, has dark hair. And I never really thought about it. I was just kind of like, that's weird. I don't know why they chose that model. Uh, but today when I was researching this book, apparently when that model was hired, he had blonde hair yep. and they had contracted him. <laughs> and then he showed up the day of and he had dark brown hair and they were like, well, I guess we got to do some rewriting. And from that point on, Tobias is written as having dirty blonde hair yep. rather than just blonde hair. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that too when I was researching. I didn't write it down. But yeah, that 
that was uh, that was and I mean this this book was actually my introduction to the Animorphs because when I discovered them for the first time it was naturally at a scholastic book fair and I was fully ready to go get my my weird erasers that didn't actually work in a Lamborghini poster and I stumbled across across this book because this one it's the original cover is a very deep purple and I think that's what initially caught my eye and then you see this boy turning into a hawk and I ended up buying the first three books right then and there and it was it was my my gateway into the series so it's this one definitely holds a special place in my heart and now having discussed all the things we have discussed it, it i think it resonates even even more and i really i really like that and i like that we're seeing even though this is horrifying as young adult literature it's it's really it's really great to see uh, a message that maybe at the time wasn't even intentional but it's something that still resonates and i hope that people as you're stumbling across these episodes or you you know are reading the books i really really dive deep into it i think that's what's been really fun about rereading these as an adult because we're noticing so much more and some of it's horrifying and some of it's truly amazing so i'm really i'm really happy for that i'm enjoying i'm enjoying this experience three books in and i'm having a great time uh, except for the question of bestiality and tobias wanting to fuck that hawk and then later wanting to eat it yeah (laughs) circle of life that's how most of my dates go Thank you all so much for listening, and I'm sorry for the last 30 seconds. Next week, we will be discussing Book 4, The Message. If you would like to read along, check out the show notes for a link to download the entire series for free on PDF. Do note that depending on when you're listening to this, the graphic novel of the first book in the series, The Invasion, is coming out on October 6th of 2020. I just pre-ordered today. Be sure to uh, check that out. It looks absolutely beautiful. I'm following the artist on Instagram, and it is... It looks gorgeous. He's working on The Visitor right now, and I'm very excited about it. I want people to be buying these and supporting these, so that way we can continue to get them. I've included a link to pre-order that, or depending on when you're listening to this, flat-out purchase it in the show notes as well. New episodes of The Millennial Agenda are available every Monday with new Animorphs editions each Friday. You can follow The Millennial Agenda on Facebook and Instagram for more fun content. And please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Until next time. Happy reading.